you're listening to the Delta Godcast, a devotional and conversational podcast for Christian youth. Hey, this is Pastor Ron, and you're listening to the sixth conversation episode of the Godcast. Today's guest is the education director at Miral Church in Toronto. She's a certified spiritual director. She's married with three teenage kids. Pastor Mian Kim, welcome to the Godcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so please tell us, like, what it's been like overseeing education ministries in a pandemic. Like, nobody expected it. And so, like, what are some ways that you've had to adjust or grow? Or what are some things that you've learned? Good question. (laughs) I think we're all learning as we go, because it's obviously not something that we were expecting. Um, I think the challenge is we want to make sure that we're engaging and we're relevant, but that we're ensuring that we're shaping them. Um, so that when we return to church, uh, it's as seamless as possible. Um, I don't think we realize how much of what we're doing right now is shaping um, the children and youth. So that's a challenge. Yeah. Do you get to visit with like kids or like through Zoom or through um, like physical visitations? Like you get to talk to the kids during the pandemic and see how they're doing? Um, We try to do some of those, but it's a pretty big education department. So uh, we have done several events where we do drive-throughs. And so through the drive-throughs, we, um, I think we've had like four thus far, maybe four or five since the pandemic. Oh, okay. So we had like our graduation, we had our summer PBS, we had a Halloween one. Um, We just had one for uh, the elderly and an Advent one. And so through this, I think uh, we, we get to connect with the kids, um, even though it's short, at least we get to see them and they, they, they enjoy coming to see the church. Yeah. Do they, do they make comments like, oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've been here or like, uh, you know, I, I wonder what it's like inside when like nobody's there. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, what's really funny is that in July, that was our first drive-through. Um, and like the city kind of went on lockdown, like complete lockdown. People hadn't seen people outside of their household um, from, I guess, March. Mm-hmm. And so some of these kids couldn't have eye contact with us. It was the cutest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> they just got more socially awkward. Kind of. They would look away and we'd be like trying to get their, like their attention. But it was kind of hard. Oh, that's, yeah, that's pretty cute. That's um, did you feel like a McDonald's drive through <laughs> you know, handing out care packages or praying for people and stuff like that. Um, I never saw it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's a bad analogy, like comparing church to a McDonald's drive-through. <laughs> you can get you can get baptized as you go by with a water gun, and I know, eh? That'd be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're also a uh, spirit, our certified spiritual director, um, for. For a lot of our listeners, I don't know if they know what spiritual direction is. So could you just briefly tell us about spiritual direction? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's a little bit difficult to, um, to explain. Okay, the simple way to explain is that it's a ministry where you're journeying alongside someone else. Um, and really, it's a ministry of listening. So I get to listen to the stories and the struggles of people. Um, what it looks like is really dependent on who I'm seeing. Sometimes it, it looks like two people having coffee together and just hanging out. And sometimes it kind of looks like, like deep therapy kind of thing. Um, and it gets pretty intense. 
So it really depends on what God is doing in a person's life. Um, does that answer your question? Kind of. Like, I, I have some follow-up questions to that. Like, um, how does spiritual direction then differ from, say, secular counseling or spiritual counseling even? Um, I think counseling oftentimes focuses on skills to kind of help you. And so, I don't know, like, let's say you have uh, I don't know, challenges with anxiety, for instance, then I think, I mean, obviously, there's different types of counseling that you can go for. But um, typically, someone will be going through skills on how to deal with these anxieties. Um, and then like how to feel better and uh, what are some techniques you can do when you're feeling anxious and what are the things for you to think about? What are some wrong thought processes and things like that? Um, spiritual direction, you might touch upon those, but oftentimes the focus is different because the issue is not the main focus, but you're focusing on your relationship with God and what God is doing in your life. And so someone might have come to see me for anxiety our session actually deals with something completely different and they feel happy about it. <laughs> um, or um, sometimes, yes, we will deal with anxiety directly, but they see it in the context of how, what God is doing and how God is relating with them, which is very different from um, figuring out, I guess, like what skills might help. Again, there is a lot of overlap, um, but I think the focus is different. Right. So like counseling would be more like learning to cope with it, I guess, or learning to deal with it in the situation, whereas spiritual direction may um, look to see how, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, is it like what God is doing in that situation or um, what is like, say, the sin or brokenness I need to deal with? Like it's a reframing of uh, the person in relationship to God rather than like, the person as an individual. Yeah, I think reframing is that key word. So I think with spiritual direction, you're reframing it in the context of what God is doing. For counseling, you're reframing it so that you can um, be able to deal with it better. Mm -hmm. So like, it's really interesting because like, if you think about the whole history of like our, our humanity kind of thing, when um, when count not counseling but when this whole psychological movement started that is the first time that human beings had an understanding of themselves apart from god hmm. there was no concept of me apart from god before that and so now i mean it's done great things for introspection and understanding ourselves but i don't think that we realize the impact it has had in terms of our understanding of how we can live a better life or how we can be whole, um, but again, doing it without God. Does that make sense? I, I think so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, like I said, sorry, like I said, I don't know that you can use this with your um, your youth group. Uh, I think so. Like some of them are very interested in, um, well, not interested, but they they want to know how to deal with like mental health. So I'm trying to reframe them into, oh, um, it, it's not just about like your mental health, individual mental health, but it is um, like a spiritual brokenness that's like, you know, a lingering effect of the fall. And there's a hope in it that like God is doing something. It, it's, you're not just going through this suffering or this kind of um, turmoil for nothing. It's, whereas like the world will tell you like, 
oh, like it's a chemical imbalance or it's this, which is true. It could be, um, but there's a greater purpose behind it. Yeah. So I, I'm slowly trying to get them there. Like they have this, and I think they get kind of fed with, you know, um, media and their friends. And it's like, yeah, this is, it is, it is a big problem. Um, and it's becoming bigger. I think even after the pandemic, it'll be a huge issue. Um, but rather than like trying to get this quick fix, like it's something that you need to journey through. Like this is your, this is your spiritual desert or this is your like wilderness wandering right now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So then like for if like a youth or like somebody who comes with you to with anxiety comes to you, what are some questions that you would ask ask them? Or, um, you know, you said you, you listen more during these sessions. Um, What are you listening for? Really good question. Um, So we call it like double listening, where we're listening to the person who's sharing as well as to God and seeing what's going on from both ends as best as possible. Um, So obviously the questions would differ based on who's there, but I think the first questions would be the same, whether it's counseling or whether it's spiritual direction in terms of, you know, what does it feel like? Um, How long do the, you know, how long have you struggled with anxiety? Um, Is there like an onset? You know, is there a trigger or do you feel it all the time? What does it feel like? Like all those, um, I guess, general questions would be asked. Um, I think thereafter, um, for spiritual direction specifically, I think a lot of times what I would ask them is how they relate with themselves when they're feeling anxious. What are the thoughts that they have in their minds about themselves or about the situation? So oftentimes when we struggle with certain emotions, I think our human nature, our human side, we, we don't like these emotions. In fact, we hate them. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're being formed to kind of like always seek pleasure or like good feelings Yeah, rather yeah. than uh, dealing with the, the negative. Yeah, exactly. And so the way we deal with it is either we ignore it or we silence it as much as we can or we repress it. Um, And uh, so allowing someone to actually, like giving someone permission to be able to feel in the company of another person is actually something very different for a lot of people because they themselves don't even want to feel it or they don't even know how to feel it anymore or it becomes overwhelming and then they don't know what to do. They're sinking. So to be able to do that in a safe place in the presence of another person Um, that in and of itself kind of shifts some things for some people. And then I think after that, to be able to listen to how God is meeting with them in this very motion changes it a lot too. Mm. I think people feel very lonely and isolated and alone. And um, it helps to know that there's someone with them. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting that you said that like people almost seem like they need permission to be able to have emotions with other people, which is interesting because like we're, we're in a culture of like very like individual, like self expression, self identity, and yet they still need permission to um, feel basic emotion with other people. Like it's like, Oh, I'm not allowed to feel this way with you because I'm somehow infringing on your rights or, or your freedom. I mean, some people feel that way. Mm-hmm. I think most people will will. Hmm. 
I think most people will say, I'm allowed to feel this way. And, okay. expect, and, and desire for the other person to accept, accept them mm. in whatever it is that they're feeling. However, I think that they can't accept themselves oftentimes. Oh, interesting. Can you like unpack that a bit? Um, so I don't know, like, um, I, I tried to think of a negative emotion right now. Example, I have bouts of anger and, you know, this is me, this is who I am. And if you don't accept me, then you don't care for me. So that might be what we portray Mm -hmm. if we ever even portray that side of us. But when we're alone and we have bouts of anger, we're not thinking, yeah, you know, this is how I am and this is who I am. We're thinking, I hate this. I hate me. Why am I like this? And um, there's almost a self-condemnation that people feel. Hmm. And so the way that they expect another person to receive them, oftentimes I feel like um, is compensating for the fact that they can't do that for themselves. That's a pretty interesting idea. So they're basically projecting their own wants for self-acceptance onto other people? Um, again, it's not for everybody, okay. <laughs> but this is, this is, I find the people who come to see me often mm. the case. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Can I ask like what, and without going into like, you know, any specifics, like why do you think people have such trouble like accept, accepting themselves or accepting their own emotions? I mean, ob- obviously part of it is I think culturally we're taught to be a certain way. Like, for instance, if you're like screaming, for most of us, our parents would be like, be quiet. (laughs) Right. So our first encounter with our emotions oftentimes comes with the parent who generally doesn't want us to um, have certain emotions because Mm. it's difficult for them. And I'm not blaming parents. I'm a parent myself. And it's the same thing for me. Yeah. So I wonder how many of us have actually been in a relationship where we have felt that we can truly just show our emotions freely. Hmm. Do you think that translates into people's relationship with God, like that they can't express themselves um, honestly or like even make themselves vulnerable with God? I totally think so, yeah. But it's, you know, it's really funny though. For some people, they will start off by saying, no, God is one person. I can tell him everything. Right. And so you're like, oh, that's great. But as you journey with them and as you listen to them, um, what you realize is that, yeah, they might be telling God stuff, but in terms of relationship, showing God these things, they're not doing that. Hmm. So to make it a little bit more um, tangible, so let's go back with the anxiety thing. I might feel anxious and I'm having a, like a, let's say a, a little bit mini breakdown, but I'm trying to control my anxiety here. So I'm shutting everybody out um, because I'm trying to deal with this. It's mm-hmm. like my body's tense and I'm trying to control it. And during that time, I'm not relating with God. I'm not relating with anybody. I'm not even relating with myself properly. Mm-hmm. I might go tell God later, hey, God, you know, I have that panic thing, man. You know, like, oh, can you help me? Can you get rid of this? Can you, you know, and we try to have God fix us or we try to use him as like, a, here, listen to what I went through. At least you can listen to me. But in terms of the actual experience, how many people actually experience God with them as their 
um, feeling this anxiety, most people don't. Yeah, they treat kind of God like um, like their diary that they write in later. And uh, it, it's not necessarily in the moment, but it's like something that they process through and then it kind of gets cut down to like the bare bones or just like whatever's, whatever's uh, going on in their mind at the time, rather than like that genuine, authentic, like moment of like, this is what I went through and like, I'm going through it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then when when people come to you with like these kind of experiences um, and you're asking them questions, like do you provide any type of um, like exercises or disciplines or like ways so that they can actually communicate um, their emotions or like their experiences um, and relate to God through them? I think it depends on each person. Um, and so for some people we'll actually do like enter into a time of prayer together. Um, some people, I will very rarely give a certain spiritual practice to do um, throughout the week. Um, it really does depend on the person because I don't want people, again, to approach God as though he's going to be their fixer, like a vending machine kind of thing. Right. right? So like, hey, I did my part. Okay, God, come on, uh, do your part. And so, again, I think it's really important that people are allowing or learning to let God relate with them. Hmm. And this is a part that is really, really difficult for us because we keep shifting it into something else. Like he's going to change me. He's going to fix me. He's going to make my life better. He's going to, and there's all these strings that we attach, but we're not actually letting God relate with us. And we're not responding to how God is relating with us. So with God trying or not trying to, but um, with God, then, wanting to relate to people like how do you how do you create that shift for them uh, uh, <laughs> hard question um, <laughs> again it depends on the person um well i'll just say like one thing i do really appreciate in, in this conversation is like you're not trying to box everybody into this um one kind of way of thinking but um, you're trying to see that people are in very different spots with God and that you're trying to meet them where they are rather than trying to say like, Hey, come to where, like everybody come to where God is and you just like, you know, fit the same mold, but it's like, no, everybody's in this different relationship with God or different um, place with God. And, and I think you're trying to be mindful of that, which is pretty, which is pretty cool. Cause I think, you know, with counseling and psychology, it's like, well, you fit the you fit the bill of a person who has symptoms of this or you have or you know you're you're displaying displaying these kind of tendencies so let's try this and it doesn't always work out because yeah there there are so many different people and uh, different mindsets and different uh, life stages even yeah so just to continue on that train of thought like I definitely do some teaching. I know it's not typical for spiritual directors to be teaching, but I do. Um, because I think a lot of times we lack certain truths and that tr those truths are foundational to us understanding what God is doing. Hmm. And so like, even from what you're sharing and it's linked with the question that you asked before that, but um, like the Trinitarian theology for me is like so huge. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um and when people understand why it's huge, and then even in terms of like 
the number of conversations I have of uh, with people about how God has placed the uniqueness intentionally in each person, that he's not trying to get rid of us, um, that he's, he's making us more human and more ourselves, and that there's a, there, that is what he desires. Mm. That is shocking for people. And especially even like um, for Christians who are so committed to God, who will be like, less of me and more of you. And, and I'm like, well, what do you mean by less of me? Because really, technically, theologically, it should be more of me and more of God. Okay, so I think one of the biggest barrier is that we feel, one, that we have to disappear. But with that is, you know, because we have to be more perfect or we have to have it together or we have to be a certain type of person. So as we realize that we're meant to be uniquely who God created us to be, that, that as we relate with him, we are becoming more ourselves. Like that is oftentimes pretty shocking for people. Um, but the other part that's shocking for people is that in Christ, that he has done it all. So we might not know how to relate with God, but he's relating with us. And we might not know how to receive what God is doing for us or with us or whatever, but Jesus has, is receiving that on our behalf as well. That's an interesting idea because I, I, I don't think I've ever thought of it that way, that he's receiving it on our behalf. Um, could you just like elaborate more on that? Because um, I think that's a really interesting point. So um, a lot of people preach on, um, on Jesus' baptism where he's, he hasn't done anything. And here God speaks, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so the belief is that um, these are the words that God is speaking to Christ for us to hear. Hmm. So why is God saying it? Well, we, we can't, we don't, we don't know these things. So here's God speaking it over Christ so that we can hear these words because this is what God intended for us. Hmm. But additionally, a lot of people believe that one of the issues that we have is here's God going, I love you. You're beautiful. And we might like it and go, oh, thanks, God. You know, but deep down when we've sinned or when we're struggling, there's something within us that's pushing it away. There's something within us who's saying, yeah, I know you say I'm lovely, but I'm not. I know you say you're pleased with me, but there's nothing to be pleased in me. And so we reject this thing that we so deeply long for. And so why, was these, why were these words spoken to Christ? The other reason is for Christ to receive it on our behalf because God knew we couldn't receive it ourselves. So Christ is receiving it for us so that even though part of us is rejecting it, it's still received in Christ. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because like in, in church sometimes I feel like, you know, some pastors, they, they focus on like sinfulness and not to say that that's wrong. Like, you know, we should be talking about sin in church. Um, but then to say like every week, like here's the sin that you're going through, or here's the sin that you're committing, or here's the sin that you're omitting. And this is why you need Jesus. Like it gets to a point where it's like, well, how can I not be self-deprecating at that point? And then you read passages with like John the Baptist saying like, well, I must become less and he must become more. Or Paul's like, well, I got to give up all these things and live this way so that Jesus becomes like, you know, the, the best thing that anybody's ever heard. And it's like, oh, but then I can't do that or I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
yeah, do you encounter that kind of um, mentality? Oh, I guess you do because you're already talking about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but I guess you do see that in, in spiritual direction with uh, with a lot of people. For sure. Um, and so one of my props at Regents, um, like there's no one like him, <laughs> but um, he calls it, he calls something, he talks about like different ways that we read the Bible. And one of the ways is the neurotic Bible reading. And that's interesting. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Oh, did I share that with you once? I, I no, I don't think so. But like a neuro, is that like a neurotic hermeneutic? <laughs> well, let me explain. Okay. Yeah. So we all have our neurotic tendencies. So let's just say I, I'm like a martyr at heart. Like, that's just my way. Like, I'm like a people pleaser. I'm like, um, and I believe like, I don't know. Self-deprecation is like a way of like pleasing people. Let's just say mm. and my neurotic way of reading the Bible is that I'm basically focusing on every single passage that has to do with that neuro neuroticism that I hold. So for instance, die to yourself, you know, you have to die so that it can, you know, life can come more like, you know, take up your cross and follow me and like all these things about death and death and death. That's what I'm focusing on. And so what happens is instead of allowing God's word to encounter me, I'm using my neurotic self to let the Bible speak whatever it is into my neuroticism to make it even more neurotic. Yeah, but I don't remember how this links back to what you said. <laughs> uh, yeah, me either now. <laughs> but that's okay. No, that's that's uh, that's like really interesting because, um, yeah, I wonder if just people are like they want to see that part in themselves. So it's like, yeah, I know this is like how far I've fallen. Um, but then they don't allow God to actually like meet them in that brokenness or they don't allow God to, or they just completely like reject his grace in that. And it's like, no, let me stay this way. Then I have like, I don't really have to blame myself or I don't have to like take responsibility for it, or I don't have to want to change even and grow out of it. And then it just shifts the blame back to God. It's like, well, you, you made the, you made me this way, or you let me go through this and, it didn't work out the way you planned. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna believe in you anymore. Yeah. Maybe um, that's extreme, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what it is? Okay. So I, so one of the things in spiritual direction that I think is really helpful for people is that we tend not to quite understand what God is doing inside of us. And so when we think about sin for instance we tend to focus on um uh, specific things as a christian community so for instance don't lie or like you really should give to the poor or like are you reading your bible every day or whatever these are the things that uh we tend to focus on as sin tendon uh, like our sin tendencies and these are the things that usually people are struggling with um in their own journey and and also as a way to evaluate how they're doing. So I'm not doing well. I'm not even praying these days. Or like, oh, I have a relationship and mm, we're, not, we're not exactly living the way we should. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of these ten sin tendencies that, are, that we focus on, we tend to disconnect with God. 
But one of the things that people don't realize is that there's a deeper sin tendency that we have um, that is being masked in these things. So let me give you an example. Okay. If I'm a people pleaser, people pleasing in and of itself is not a, necessarily a big deal. But usually for people pleasers, the issue comes from the fact that we are, um, give me a second, we are finding our worth from pleasing people. Right. Okay. So from that, it gets pretty extreme where eventually like some people don't even know who they are or don't even know what they like. Mm. <laughs> and what we don't realize is that when we become Christians, what we often tend to do is we're transferring these, this way of being to God. So I'm a people pleaser with X, Y, Z, but now I'm a Christian. So I'm a people pleaser with God. We won't say mm -hmm. it that way, but that's what's happening. Right. And so here I am praying, God, tell me what to do. I'll do anything for you. I'll give up my career for you. I'll give up my home for you. And we're trying to find ways to please God. And in the beginning, he's really good. And he meets us in that. And he'll let us please him because there's a way he understands that that's the way that we relate. But at a certain point, he's like, I won't meet you that way because I want to breathe life in you. And this is not life giving to you. Hmm. And that's when the crisis starts, because then people who used to say, hey, look at me, I'm a good daughter of God and God's pleased with me and you should be pleased with me, too. Suddenly they don't know how to please God because he's so silent and they, they think they've been abandoned or, you know, perfectionists. You know, they'll be the perfect Christian. They'll do everything they're supposed to do. They're fantastic. Um, but God's not asking us to be perfect. Yeah, that sounds very much like what, um, like the early part of youth go through to like when they go into adulthood, like especially growing up in the church is like, yeah, I served, you know, I came out every Sunday and like, it was good. Like I went to the retreats. It was great. I received a lot of grace and then they start growing up and it's like, well, wait a second. Like, what about all that stuff I did before for you? Like, why am I going through all this now? I don't know if you encounter like young adults who are like that, but then how do you get them to um, reorient back towards like, this is God's grace, or this is like how much God loves you, um, even though you are going through these things? So I think a lot of it is um, slowing down to hear what's going on inside of each person. And so I think a lot of people pleasers don't even recognize that they've been doing that with God. Mm. or perfectionists don't recognize they've been doing that with God. And so we don't even know that we're doing that because it's just so part of who we are. And so as you're recognizing these things and these difficulties and these challenges, and as you're recognizing, oh my goodness, I never knew I was doing it with God. And then suddenly to know that God's silence is actually um, the way that he's guarding you and protecting you in the very ways that you have been deeply desiring. I think that's, that's transformative for people. It's actually empowering for people because mm -hmm. now they realize, oh my goodness, God is not using me and God is not um, functionalizing me. I don't know if that's too difficult of a word, but. <laughs> it's too difficult for me. <laughs> but, you know, on that note, I just want to say, like, I think this is, this is part of the responsibility that the church has possibly overlooked. And what I mean by that is things like, I think teenagers, 
really are in a stage where they're vulnerable in different ways. And one of the ways is that they really need affirmation. They need mm. to know that they belong. The church, without realizing it, has taken advantage of that vulnerability. Mm. And so, for instance, you're part of the praise team and then giving shower over showering these youth with example affirmations and and they find now their worth and i am in the praise team i'm a good christian i'm part of this group and they're feeling so good and they feel so great with god and all these things but when they go into university and suddenly whoa i'm not as important i'm not special anymore wait a second i was at the center of it all and i'm not anymore and so we don't realize that as a church, we've created these. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know. Oh, I think it's very true. Um, like the way we set up, like, especially like leaders who are more involved, we, we kind of want them to, and maybe I'm guilty of this too, is because maybe pastors are afraid of like losing their student leaders or like losing their um, volunteers that they give them that extra attention and say, you're doing a great job so that they'll continue to serve. And maybe this is subconscious, but um, hoping that they'll continue that into like their adulthood, but we don't realize like, because we've created this space of, yeah, you're like on top now. And then when they go out into the world and it's like, and they stop serving or because they get busy with school, it's like all of a sudden my worth is gone, like you're saying. And they just kind of shut down or they're like, what am I going to do? And they go into that crisis mode, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. And, and maybe as church, we we kind of need to create a new paradigm for them. <laughs> and maybe like I, I've read articles on like parenting and even though I don't have kids myself, um, I just read those for fun. Uh, <laughs> but they're, they were saying that like for parents, like instead of saying like, like when your kid comes home with a test with like 98% or whatever, and it's like, yeah, we're hanging this on the fridge. Like everybody sees it and like, great job. Like, you know, we always knew you could do it. It's just like saying, Hey, here's a handshake. Good job. You did what you're supposed to do. And maybe that's too cold for some kids. <laughs> um, but I think in that sense, it, it, it doesn't affirm like, this is who you were meant to be, or this is who you're becoming. And yeah, the work you put in is, is obviously important, but um, you're not based on your achievements. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to do that. And again, like, I think in a family dynamic, personally, I feel like you have, it would be different with each child. It should be different with each child. Hmm. Like if a child is finding their worth in their grades, then yeah, for sure. Don't affirm them in it then. But if a child is feeling like I'm worthless and I can't even do well in my school and you've worked really hard with that child and they got a 98, I think as parents, we should be responding differently. Um, yeah. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm learning. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I would never have thought of that. It's like, oh, you got a 98. Great. Instead yeah. of like my parents going like, where's the other 2% or where's the bonus marks? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. But if I could just pick up on something you said earlier about slowing down, I think with youth or like teenagers, because they're in such a life stage of like, go, 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 study, get ready for university, like pick your courses, know your career. Um, and, and like, you're also learning to date at the same time. You're also learning to like work at the same time. If you're getting a job for the first time, you're, you have extracurriculars, like there's so much always on the go. 
how would you encourage or how would you like teach youth to slow down, especially like um, not just with that life, but even with God, like their expectations of God to do all these things in their life? Question. Um, I, I mean, I think for our youth, it's particularly difficult because they're they're always connected as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as they're trying to slow down, they have you know messages coming in and they're responding and they're looking at their Instagram and they're looking at you know whatever. Um, yeah, that's right. Like there's there's not like a quiet moment for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think. For the youth, even before slowing down, because I think the thought of slowing down, oftentimes people have an emotional reaction, even a physical reaction. Some people have physical reactions to slowing down. Um, like a like negative a, physical re- reaction? Yeah, yeah. The thought of just disconnecting. Like, I can't. Mm. Yeah. Like, they might want to, but the thought of, like, having nothing around them, not even a sound, like no device, nothing is for some, not everyone, but for some people, it's actually kind of scary. Hmm. Um, and so again, depending on the ch- person, I think it's different, but I would say like for one person, it might just be like, can you listen to one song that you really like? And for that duration of the song, just only let yourself um, be present to that. So hmm. Notice how you feel. Um, notice how you're doing in your body, in your emotions, in your mind. Um, I would say for some who might want to, like, go for a walk, even 10 minutes. But, you know, most people don't want to. So, um, <laughs> uh, We're not other, allowed to either. That too. Um, yeah. The other stuff is just using, like, things that they do on a daily basis as a means to remind them to take note of how they're doing. So, example, you're washing your hands. We do that a lot these days. So take that opportunity to you know let it be a time to slow down so smell the soap you know feel what the water feels like in your hand and in that time ask yourself how am I doing right now what am I feeling right now and then at the end just say okay God meet me here and when Mm. I tell people that is a way of prayer people are like so shocked (laughs) yeah like washing your hands and as a form of prayer like I would never have imagined that like but, I'm focused on like, you know, getting this dirt and everything yeah. off and like, you know, making sure there's no coronavirus. But, uh, yeah, totally. um, but I'm, I tell people like sometimes that's like a deeper way of praying because we're actually inviting God to relate with us as we are. Hmm. We're actually showing God where we're at and saying, okay, come, come here. Yeah, that's a really interesting application of like when Paul says pray continually or pray without ceasing. Um, just to be able to pray even in like simple actions or basic actions that we're doing throughout the day. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to think about in that way. Um, so for, for you, I, I don't know, like, I'm guessing that you um, do spiritual direction more with adults. I don't know. Have you ever done spiritual direction with youth? I and have. is that, so- oh, you have I like, have. Is that something that's available to youth? And like, would you recommend it for youth? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't think many people do spiritual direction with youth kids, to be honest. Um, you know, okay, in an ideal world, I would think 
that it would like they can go to their pastors who would um, direct them to God and give them space and opportunity to find ways to notice how God is trying to meet them. Mm. Um, obviously, it's a little bit difficult because pastors are very busy. I definitely think if a youth kid can find these, someone to offer spiritual direction here and there, or even, it doesn't even have to be a spiritual director, but if they can have friends where they're sharing um, in a way where they're learning to listen to God and to each other, I think those would be, it would be invaluable. Yeah, that even to me, that sounds like a little daunting, just thinking about like, as youth trying to say like, hey, let's, uh, let's spend time together, like trying to listen to God. It's like, is this, is this kind of like dangerous? Is this kind of like allowed? Like, how do we do it? Like, there's, there's just so many questions I'm sure they're asking. Um, what would be like one starting point that you could like give to them if they were to engage like, or if they were to like try this with their friend? I mean, I have, I have some templates of how they can do things, <laughs> but. Um, oh, are there resources available like online or like, do you I have, have I yeah. Have is there like I a mean, link to it? No, but I can send you stuff. Um, okay. I don't know if it's necessarily the best thing to, mm. um, to do like group spiritual direction. Hmm. Um, on the flip side, teaching youth to be able to listen to one another, I think that is so important because as a culture, I don't know that we know how to listen to one another anymore and we don't know how to slow down. So we need other, other people to be able to slow down now. Um, so rather than spiritual direction groups, like to be able to do prayer groups or like where people can share and then you can say, okay, here are the prayer topics that I'm listening or hearing from you. Is this correct? Um, and then they don't have to actually pray together in the, like loud because it's a little uncomfortable for some kids. But <laughs> that, right, that like one voice Korean style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to know that here's somebody who has heard my sharing and was able to turn that into prayer topics even and that the person is saying they will pray for me. That's, I think, really special. That's actually like really great advice is just learning to hear what others are saying about like how they're praying or what they're praying for. Like just like even if I'm sharing about my life with somebody, that in and of itself is so difficult to do. Hmm. And then teaching somebody to listen to hearing what I'm saying, like that, just that alone, I think is so big for these teenage kids who don't feel connected, even though they're connected all the time. Hmm. Yeah, listening is such a hard skill. That's like, so hard. yeah, I don't know if I don't know if uh, we actually learn it properly until like we're well into our adulthood. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's there's a lot of adults that still don't know how to listen. Pastor Mia, thank you so much for being on today's episode. I think spiritual direction and just giving those basic kind of tools for kids to listen and learn to listen to each other. Um, that's a great starting point. And if if you are thinking about spiritual direction, like there are resources out there, you know, you can talk to myself, or you can talk to other pastors. Um, it might not always be the most wise thing to do at this point. 
but and maybe it's something that you can seek later in life as you're an adult. Um, but at least we get the conversation going and it's really learning to relate to God and listening to each other and learning to listen to him as well. So once again, Pastor Mian, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. The Lord be with you in everything you do for the glory of God.